Welcome to All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light driving scientific innovation in the 21st century. I'm Joel Williams, Associate Editor at Photonics Media. Join us as we explore the latest trends in optics, lasers, microscopy, and spectroscopy. Each episode, you'll hear from leading voices from across the photonics landscape, brought to you by Photonics Media. Rarely does an hour elapse in our narrow branch of the scientific landscape without someone in our offices catching wind of a development in the microelectronics sector. Qualifying the significance of a scientific development can be challenging, and it's no exception when it comes to semiconductors. On the business side, chipmakers are in constant pursuit of everything from IP and materials to land access and workers. In academia, entire scientific disciplines, in full classes of budding talent, are emerging in the areas of material science, photochemistry, and optoelectronics. And in R&D, the path to productization is ever-accelerating. For the likes of the circuits, inductors, and diodes that make microelectronics go, never has it been more abundantly obvious that innovation is underway. And that, of course, doesn't even begin to touch on the legislation and policy that so often place semiconductors atop news cycles around the world. Amid this present state of rapid growth, we've often wondered how, exactly, the current semiconductor climate affects those who represent this link, or that, in the photonics value chain. In our quest for an answer, we've turned back to Walter Burgess. Burgess, who helped launch our podcast years ago as guest number one, has taken on a position of prominence for his region and its interests pertaining to chips. In his home state of Arkansas, Burgess is bridging the interests of industry and statewide economic development by working to ensure the state and its businesses leverage the Chips and Science Act to optimize their returns following passage of the legislation last year. From ensuring that funding is applied for and distributed on a grassroots level to using the platform of his position as co-CEO of Power Technology Incorporated to capitalize on opportunities for his Arkansas business and others, Burgess is entirely entrenched in Arkansas's CHIPS Act opportunity. And while that state in particular has its share of operational optics and photonics companies, Burgess's expertise is aptly applied to others around the country who are working to seize their own CHIPS Act opportunities. What those opportunities are and how they've emerged are what best align with Burgess's insights. So what I'm hoping to do today in our conversation is to to spotlight this current dynamic that exists between semiconductor manufacturing and economic development, really in one specific region that you can speak to. But before we begin that exploration, I'm hoping you can shed some light on the region that we'll be discussing. Um, We're talking about Arkansas here, the whole of the state. Just for context, what has Arkansas's manufacturing ecosystem and economy looked like historically? Historically, it's been pretty good. Most people are surprised to hear that Arkansas has a high-tech industry. We are known as an agricultural state, but, you know, people are waking up to the fact that these flyover states really are a hotbed of innovation and technology development. Our region specifically has a lot of technology companies and a lot to offer. Historically, we've had a lot of industry in Arkansas. I mean, FedEx uh, is now headquartered out of Memphis. Uh, Unfortunately, while that started in Arkansas, it moved to Memphis. So, you know, pretty close uh, allegiance with, with the FedEx Corp. The lasers that power technology has made for 53 years have been made here consistently. 
in addition to our German facility that we had for a short time. But beyond photonics, we've got a huge aerospace industry. There's a French company called Dassault Falcon Jet that has more people working in Little Rock than it does in France. They build the corporate jets and the, the customized interiors for those jets. You know, we've got world-leading electronics companies like Arkansas Power Electronics, which was acquired by Wolfspeed. They started decades ago making silicon carbide and gallium nitride electronics. And they truly have the world's best performance in many of those categories. Ozark IC is another interesting company uh, here in northwest Arkansas. They operate or they make laser, I'm sorry, they make semiconductors that operate at over 600 degrees Celsius. And they provide remote signal acquisition in nuclear reactors and jet engines and things like that. So they're, you know, basically acquiring data in the pits of hell. So just a, a fun way to put it. So that's helpful context because I think the semiconductor environment in which we are currently living and operating is not, probably at this point, it's not new. There, there's, there are innovations happening all the time, obviously, and legislation being being pushed through. But it's helpful context to fold what's happening in that realm into what's happening um, at home for you. And so the question now is, what might um, innovation in microelectronics and that value and supply chain mean for a state like Arkansas specifically? Yeah, I think there's great opportunity for a state like Arkansas, you know, maybe a flyover state. You know, there's opportunities here to build on what's uh, established companies. You know, we have 17 photonics companies employing over 500 people in Arkansas. Most people are surprised that there's $150 million roughly in uh, photonics industry here. And that's just a great foundation. You know, the aerospace industry that's here is mostly electronic. There's some semiconductor supply chain companies here making optics and other com critical components for semiconductors. So, you know, we've got this great foundation. And then, of course, workforce on top of all that is is a great asset for us as well. The legislation of which I speak, of course, uh, primarily is the Chips and Science Act. And you've had some time to sit with that in detail and, and assess it and maybe in some cases even project but really make sort of an educated estimation on how certain next steps were going to affect not just Arkansas, but the United States. Um, with your current pursuits in mind, what's your view of the act? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great piece of legislation. I think it's really going to align our nation's interest uh, with the interest of the semiconductor industry. For those of your listeners who don't know, you know, there's a couple of challenges that the CHIPS Act is trying to address catalyzing private investments, encouraging customer demand, engaging our U.S. partners and our allies, building that skilled workforce that we talked about earlier, reducing the build time for semiconductor manufacturing, uh, reducing cost, of course, and promoting national security and regional economic development are just some of the points that this act is trying to address. And as a state, I think Arkansas is in a great position to capitalize on that. We, we have a number of semiconductor companies like uh, Ozark IC and Wolfspeed and Power Technology that are addressing different parts of the ecosystem. And the CHIPS Act has been written in such a way that it allows us to incentivize different facets of the semiconductor industry. Quite frankly, you know, we're in the, the test and measurement end of that. We build lasers that go into $2 million capital equipment pieces. Wolf Speed, on the other end, they make 
the semiconductor drive components for uh, electric automobiles. And so we're in two totally different ends of the spectrum. But under the CHIPS umbrella, you know, we're allies and partners in trying to bring some of that federal funding here to Arkansas. I have to suspect that sort of the, the efforts to catalyze different ends of the, the value chain began prior to the legislation, probably began as soon as there was recognition of the opportunity that semiconductor and semiconductor manufacturing presents. Can you speak to some of the efforts on the ground and even beyond that that you've undertaken to bring some of those different ends, those different facets of the value chain together? Yeah, we started in November looking at that. I think that was just around the time that the the legislation passed. Uh, We knew we had an industry here in Arkansas, but we didn't really have a cohesive structure under which to guide and and facilitate these applications. So uh, in November, I hosted a a session, uh, brought in some of our key players in the state and the other leaders that we have. And we were able to start to unify our semiconductor industry into an organization. Pretty soon, that's going to come out with a website and a a name for the organization. But, of course, we're all working together at this point to address the uh, deadlines that are coming up very quickly in the CHIPS Act. At what point, if you can take us back in time, did the tremendous amount of opportunity begin to emerge as a parent to you and some others in Arkansas with, with this whole semiconductor ecosystem? When did that become clear that there was really tremendous opportunity here? I think it sort of happened slowly for most of us because the information about Chips Act came out very slowly. It wasn't until they really released documents that outlined the funding mechanism where business owners such as myself could analyze risk and reward. You know, it's not just a bucket of cash that the government's giving to semiconductor companies. You know, it's loan guarantees. There are some incentives, but no more than 35 percent of that investment will be funded by the government. Um, The business owner or its partners, investors, et cetera, will have to come up with another 65 percent of the capital needed for any expansion or, or change to their facilities and things like that. So it, it happened slowly, you know, and I say slowly over the course of six months, and that's just how it materialized, I think. The Chips and Science Act extends beyond the reaches of optics and photonics, which, to be sure, is where Burgess has resided for decades. Articulating the dynamics of the marriage that exists between photonics and the Chips Act for the benefit of those who are poised to benefit requires a look at the nature of the technology areas that comprise both photonics and microelectronics together. The buy-in from the photonics industry has been there, at least for the most part. But, we asked, has it been swift? Has it been comprehensive and widespread? We're obviously speaking to a broad audience here on the podcast, and I can only speak for myself, but you are fairly well known in the industry as a sort of nuts and bolts optics and photonics guy, and, and you've you've done it a lot in this industry um, for quite a while, very effectively, and you know the photonics community quite well, obviously. What's the buy-in been like? Has it been, and I'm, I'm speaking sort of globally here from the, the full of the community, has the buy-in been as expected? Yeah, I think there was buy-in, but it only came recently. Just to the slow pace at which the, the program was outlined and documented, it was an entirely new program. So there, there really wasn't much out there that, that looked or felt like the CHIPS Act, with the exception of one or two government programs. But uh, here lately, the last couple of months, uh, really the buy-in has increased quite a bit. You know, there's still people out there that will say that 
the amount of funding that's available may not be enough to move the needle. And I think the jury's still out on that. I'd like to think it'll move the needle for my company. I think it'll move the needle for Arkansas. But I can't speak to the whole industry. But we'll we'll see how it it plays out. I think it's going to come out in tranches. We're going to see funding, you know, start to roll out fairly quickly. I think we've seen quite a bit already. As that those funds are deployed, I think we can begin to assess how effective this is going to be. Of course, there's there's I mean, we've talked a lot about industry, but there's also you have a whole realm of academia um, and government and, and all of these entities, hopefully, are, are working together or at least planning to. Um, how aligned right now are science and industry with government and policy? Over the last couple of decades, we've, we've seen governments generally uh, become more aligned with industry. Uh, it could be in the form of workforce training could be in the form of, say, the DARPA program, where the government said, here's an impossible task, you know, go solve this problem for us. You know, it could be in the form of the SBIR program, where the government says, again, this is a really difficult thing. We're probably not able to do this task ourselves. Uh, Here's a hundred thousand or a quarter million dollars to go solve a core problem. Those kind of programs incentivize and align government and industry quite well. And I think the, the CHIPS Act is set to align the semiconductor industry's interest to our nation's interest. Being self-sufficient is a good idea no matter what's happening. But I think a lot of people woke up to the fact that, you know, a lot of our dependency for advanced semiconductors was outside of our control uh, and maybe even outside of our sphere of influence and maybe within the sphere of influence of uh, companies or countries that are not exactly friendly toward the United States. So I think this has a lot of people worried, especially from a national security level. You know, so having some level of self-autonomy and ability to manufacture these things ourselves is, is really in our best interest. Yeah, I, I can use sort of quantum science as an example. The the quantum science community has spent a lot of its efforts with government just explaining some of the technology and its significance. Are, are you confident that that is something that sort of semiconductor and semiconductor manufacturing is able to circumvent just given the national security piece of it? Or is there a lot of sort of explaining and, and breaking down to government, be it for funding or, or other purposes that has to go on here? I don't claim to be a, a quantum physics guy, but you know I think there's a lot of overlap between the export restrictions that are happening for chips and semiconductor. I think we're likely to see something very similar with quantum, just to to the major impact that the quantum technologies can have on national security. I fully anticipate we'll see some other uh, export controls on quantum technologies in the future. I want to talk moving back, sort of to guess at home for you in Arkansas, trends and developments, um, what are some that are most inclined or most apt, I suppose, um, to be of consequences that we're seeing? And when I say trends, they could be either on the, uh, you know, just sort of R&D science side, they can be industrial business trends. What's happening on the ground that's going to be of consequence to um, the CHIPS Act, I suppose? Yeah, to the CHIPS Act, you know, just getting us uh, aligned as an industry inside the state is is one of the major things that's been happening and getting a structure in place where we can all apply for the funding. You know, we've taken a, what I think will be a unique structure uh, where we're going to make an application as a state and then the state's going to administer some of the funding out to individual companies. So this may be a unique technique. Yeah, I think more traditionally, uh, individual companies might think about applying on their own. You know, writing grant proposals is not a common skill. 
and so it could be difficult for small companies below $10 million, for example, to have that skill set in-house. And so individual companies, small to medium enterprises might have trouble applying individually because it's not a trivial task. You know, Arkansas has a, a good infrastructure for grant writing. Uh, we have the EPSCOR program and we have some very talented people there that have used the EPSCOR program to bring federal funds to the state. And that's probably one of our secret uh, weapons is that we're able to build on our EPSCOR success and use that as a, a focal point for our CHIPS Act funding as well. That brings up a, an interesting point. Anytime you're doing something new or, or something that qualifies as a massive undertaking, which I think is is fair, fair qualifiers for what is happening now, throughout the sort of levels of the the value chain, there are different skills, different efforts that need to be pursued. Grant writing just itself is one of them. Are there, I mean, is that factored into play? Are there supports that you're providing as a state for some of the businesses and some of the players that sort of aren't necessarily on the science side, but very much are relevant to this overall um, effort that you're undertaking? Yeah, our Department of Commerce is one of the leading groups within this CHIPS Act effort. And one of the things that they're providing is the ability to write the grants and grant writing support. So I think that's great. We have some some very successful smaller companies that have written a lot of grants as well, and they're contributing their knowledge. But uh, absolutely, we're getting great support from our state, from our, our Department of Commerce head, and also our governor is very much on board with the efforts that we're making in the CHIPS area. You know, you can only be in one place at once, but what are we seeing in other states or maybe nationally as it compares to Arkansas? I mean, are these efforts being put in place in, in similar ways or to similar extents globally, or are we sort of um, too early to tell, I guess? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing some early funding opportunities that generally revolve around the big companies that have all the support that they need mm -hmm. to write those grant proposals themselves. You know, those are tied to foundries and very large investments. And so I think we're seeing that in the early days of the CHIPS Fund. You know, in Arkansas, we're very practical. We don't believe that we're going to have a foundry located in Arkansas. Uh, and so what we want to focus on is more of the ecosystems that support the foundries. And we're, you know, strategically located between Texas, where there's a lot of you know foundry work, and other states to the north. And so we're strategically located uh, in this area where we can support other foundries uh, with the products that are already manufactured here. On top of that, you know, we've got a, a huge um, powerhouse in logistics and supply chain. There's a little company, you know, a Fortune One company located here in, in Arkansas called Walmart. And of course, with that comes a, a logistics uh, juggernaut of an ecosystem. And so when it comes to these complex ecosystems of supply chain, you know, we've got that, again, as a strategic advantage for our state. An important distinguisher is made between building a semiconductor hub, perhaps with a foundry or three or four, and a semiconductor ecosystem to support long-term growth in the industries that comprise the semiconductor value chain. Photonics is one of those industries, and it is one Burgess knows well. Here, Burgess parallels the leadership positions he holds in business and in development. Not to be lost in all of this, of course, of course, is the fact that you're a business owner of a fairly established core player in optics and photonics. Can you just speak to the dynamic that exists between Walter Burgess, power technology uh, leader, and um, 
our state of Arkansas semiconductor industry um, leader? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the good news is that what's good for our state's good for the company as well. And so, you know, as I work as a state leader, you know, I really have in the back of my mind, you know, this is going to help not only my company, but other companies similar to mine, uh, small to medium sized enterprises. And so what I really find is that we're, you know, very closely aligned in those two leadership capacities, you know, and I don't have to differentiate them too very much, which is fortunate. But, you know, there is a, a time commitment that becomes a little stressful. At times where I need to be doing something for the company and I ended up, you know, using that time to benefit some other company. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's the tension in, in being a leader. You always have to figure out what's the most important thing that has to be done right now. Yeah. And you, of course, saw it DCS, saw it Photonics West. You're you're on the floor as you have been for years and in, in doing your thing. Has that thing you know changed or the conversations you're having, be it at shows or, you know, in the office, are those changing just by virtue of what your focus is now? Yeah, so I'm at a lot of trade shows, as you mentioned. You know, I'm really using those opportunities to talk to companies I might not have talked to before, ask them what their particular impression is about the CHIPS Act and uh, about semiconductors. You know, it, it opens up a lot of conversations. Sometimes those conversations just are informative. They inform my worldview of the semiconductor industry. Uh, and then occasionally it comes out that, oh, they need a laser that we can manufacture as well. And that's a nice little side benefit. It's a good outcome, yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we have to stay in business and so we can do good work. What are some of the uh, the, the recurring, um, not conversations, some of the recurring comments or sentiments that you're getting from, uh, from others in the uh, optics and photonics world as it relates to the CHIPS Act? Yeah, uh, deadlines. Um, the deadlines are pretty quick and I think June – first uh, might be an upcoming deadline. Yeah, I think people have less than two months for that particular deadline and don't quote me on that. I'm not a, I don't have my calendar in front of me, but uh, you know, things are moving at a very fast pace and there's a lot of dollars involved. You know, the other recurring theme is that, you know, people don't know how to apply for it. The guidance documents only came out a few months ago and uh, it takes a lot of time to read those, dive into them and understand them. Fortunately, we've got a couple of people here in the state that speak federal language. You know, I don't. So I've had to rely on them for translation of those documents. But, you know, maybe a third one is simply the language that the CHIPS Act uses uh, wasn't really an industry standard language. Back end, I think, was uh, a misnomer in the CHIPS Act. So there were some language barriers where we had to really you know, overcome figure out what the government was talking about and how it was really something else that the industry already had a term for. Obviously, NIST is spearheading much of this um, you know, national strategy, and that makes sense. You need standards whenever you don't have them or wherever you don't have them. In your mind, what are some best-case outcomes, um, we'll say next six months, next year, next three years, that are really things that are, are, are tangible and discernible that we can um, hope to see? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think by that time, you know, by the six month time frame, we're going to see some of the initial uh, awards. And I think those are, you know, expected tangible outcomes. I think we're going to get a lot of feedback. The solicitation process or the uh, notice of funding opportunity, it comes in two rounds. There's a pre-solicitation and then the final solicitation. I think we're going to get a lot of feedback from the government about what kind of programs they really want to uh, incentivize, and we'll probably get a lot of 
feedback about, no, we're not interested in, in whatever bad application is out there. So I think those are tangible things that we'll see in the near future. Um, and then in the longer term, same question. Yeah, I mean, in the longer term, we're looking at, you know, companies uh, benefiting, hiring more people, building more infrastructure uh, that supports the industry as a whole. You know, we could have clean rooms, we could have facilities expansions, we could have new equipment uh, in place, new production lines. And I think all that's going to help our industry quite a bit. You know, even in the packaging of semiconductor lasers, you know, I think that we're going to see some benefits come out of the CHIPS Act to help us package up semiconductor lasers a little more efficiently, a little more effectively, and, and hopefully improve some performance while mm-hmm. we're at it. Maybe it's upstream, maybe it's downstream from what we've been talking about. The University of Arkansas system is, is, is in the news quite a bit. There's a lot happening with quantum and quantum facilities. Sort of got a two-part question. One, what would you like to see on the education side? And two, how, how viable is that in Arkansas? Actually, the, the great research that's happening at the University of Arkansas is what has uh, spun out uh, the power electronics companies and Wolf Speed and Ozark IC. So there's already evidence there of things that are coming out as industrial outcomes. So very happy with their track record. Uh, as always, you know, the United States as a whole struggles to align research um, with industry. Europe does a great job of that. Maybe it's because of some of their incentive packages. But I'd always like to see a better alignment there between the research that's happening and the, and the industrial need in the market. Yeah, it's very viable up there. I mean, there's, you know, that's three hours away, so I say up there. But particularly in quantum, they've done some great things. The quantum foundry is probably the next big evolution that's happening up there. Looking at that as almost a fabulous opportunity for other third parties to come to uh, the quantum foundry and characterize the material or get some of it packaged or any of those other outcomes that they're promising. You know, that's a a great resource for all of the United States researchers and maybe even industry as well. I want to end with this, and perhaps I should have asked it at the the start of the conversation, but I'll ask it at the end. Day by day, what are you doing now? What are your, uh, where are your pursuits taking you? What's uh, on the calendar coming up for Walter Burgess? You know, there's uh, World of Photonics uh, looms large. You know, it's a great chance to see 25,000 of my closest friends. Um, in Munich, so that's uh, that's playing a big mindshare right now. And the July 1st chips deadline is uh, is also taking a lot of time and effort. So just uh, making sure the Arkansas companies are ready for that big application that's going to be submitted at that point. Yeah, so that and just you know trying to keep everything else going and humming here at Power Technology. So yeah, it's a busy month coming a up. Busy month, but uh, an exciting time uh, as we're speaking here. New opportunities to incorporate some of this really wonderful technology. Walter, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, good luck with everything, and uh, congratulations on the success to date. Well, thank you again for this opportunity. Um, if I think back, I think I was the first guest on this podcast yeah. series. Yeah, you absolutely were. Yeah, the very ago. first. And look at us now. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's a pleasure to come back all these years later and, yeah. and talk more about things that are near and dear to my heart here in Arkansas. That concludes this week's episode of All Things Photonics. Thank you to our engineer, Alan Shepard, and to our news editor, Jake Saltzman, as well as to this week's sponsors. Our featured music is courtesy of betterwithmusic.com. 
Most of all, thank you, our listeners. As always, you can share your thoughts, pitch us ideas, and let us know how we're doing. You can reach us at allthingsphotonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as on our website, photonics.com.